Welcome to the Fraud Fighter Podcast. This episode is going to be slightly different than my usual interviews. I'm going to discuss a little bit about my attendance of the Association of Certified Fraud Examiners, their national conference. But before I get to that, I just want to say this is the 50th episode that I have produced for the show, and the downloads have been tremendous. We've had over 30,000 downloads in 130 countries in 3,000 cities. So thank you very much for those of you who have been listening and those who have been a listener from the very beginning. I do I very do appreciate you spending your time listening to me interview guests. But today, I'm going to go over just the conference itself, what I learned, kind of like the story behind it, uh, get a feel for the CFE, the Certified Fraud Examiner, what happened. And if you missed the conference, then maybe uh, this will kind of give you an idea of what went on, and maybe next year you can attend it as well. But this is a review of the 33rd Annual ACFE Global Fraud Conference. It was hosted in Nashville, Tennessee. And the ACFE is the Association of Certified Fraud Examiners. And it is a credential that anyone can get as long as they qualify with certain educational background and experience. But it is a credential. I met quite a few people during the conference that either were not CFEs or wannabe CFEs or newly minted CFEs or ones that have been around for quite for many years. But the credential is really to show your expertise and your knowledge about fraud prevention and fraud detection. A lot of the classes that were done at the national conference this year in June were fraud prevention oriented, which I can totally understand that. If you, if you prevent fraud, you won't have to worry about investigating it. I'm more of the investigation side of things versus fraud prevention. That's where my expertise has been. If you ever want to get an example of what the CFE credential can do for you, there's a couple episodes that I have on the Fraud Fighter podcast that will kind of give you an idea of what it is and why it's important in the fraud prevention world, the anti-fraud, anti-money laundering, and forensic accounting. One of them is episode three with Jim Lanick, and Jim Lanick is a trustee for bankruptcy, and he highly recommended a CFE as a credential that the bankruptcy court would look at, including trustees would look at, to see whether or not you are qualified to assist the court or assist the trustee ultimately in determining if there's fraud and how it happened and how to discover it and investigate it and ultimately possibly uh, help prosecute it. So the point being is episode three, Jim Lanick regarding bankruptcy, he highly touted the CFE credential as something as a, as a definitely a need. Uh, matter of fact, he even put that over the CPA uh, credential itself because just because you're a CPA, CPA does not mean that you are a certified fraud examiner, in which I totally agree because a CPA license, the CPA test, uh, goes over a little bit of things, but it doesn't go over the forensic accounting investigation side of things like the CFE does. Episode nine of the podcast also is an interview with John Gill. Now, John Gill is with the Associated Certified Fraud Examiners, and he goes into detail what the credential is all about and how it, you could use it in your career path, what it can do for you. Uh, so he's a good resource. And then also, 
in episode 44. Now, there may have been other, one, a couple other episodes that mentioned the CFE, but these are the top th- three that I can think of off the top of my head, was Tom Golden. And Tom Golden is a forensic accountant, started many decades ago, and uh, is now retired from the forensic accounting space, and now is an author of financial fiction thrillers. But he was episode 44, Tom Golden, and he highly recommended getting a CFE credential uh, for those who are in the forensic accounting space and fraud examination space. So uh, those three episodes, episode three, episode nine, episode 44, if you get a chance, if you hadn't listened to them, be sure to download them on the Fraud Fighter podcast. Well, the Global Fraud Conference in Nashville was for a few days. It's a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Typically, there were some things going on Sunday, I think a Thursday and Friday as well, special sessions. But for the most part, the meat of it was a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday in June of 2022. The registration was pretty easy. Uh, you can go online. I think I got the super early discount, which means I was I registered like seven months early. I knew I was going to go to this. I have never been to a CFE National Conference. This is my first one. I have been in a forensic accounting space for over 20 years, but never got my credential until last year, uh, based upon recommendations, actually, of the uh, podcast guests that I had. So I went ahead and got the credential and decided to get to my first CFE conference, and it was it was good. I'm glad I, I'm glad I went. The registration for it was easy. Uh, like I said, I did it a few months earlier than in order to get the super early discount. The hotels in Nashville. In Tennessee, we're within walking distance of the venue. I stayed at the Westin, which is across from the Music City Center, I believe it was called. And it's just a big, humongous convention center in Nashville. But all the hotels are within the walking distance. And I think we got a special right for being part of the, for the conference. They also had, was interesting, they also had an app. The ACFE had an app that you could use. It keeps up with the schedules. It also, you can register for your classes because there were multiple classes going on at the same time. I would say about eight, I think, at the same time were going on. So in order to keep the venue, the spaces uh, spread out and not having everybody go to the same class, because you're also, there's also a constraint when it comes to the number of bodies that you can put into certain rooms. Uh, you got ballrooms and you got smaller rooms. Uh, and then s- some courses are guests uh, are more attended than others, the subject matter may be more interesting. So there's an app that you could schedule, put yourself on a list. And there's also part of the app is there's a secret code for every time you went to a class, you could upload the secret code that was given during the class to prove that you attended. And then you get your certified professional credits, education credits that way. And that's how they track uh, that you attended. So it was pretty good. The app was actually very nice. There were some things on the app. I think people had some bugs in them regarding they were registered for class and didn't wasn't registered or didn't show up immediately. I really didn't have too much of a problem with mine. But it also kind of gave you an idea where you can look at the app and find out what your schedule is like, where you need to be at, and you can download the slides of the presenter. So it was all very well organized, in my opinion, at least from the app's point of view. Well, Sunday I flew in with American Airlines uh, from North Carolina to Tennessee. It was actually my first time using first class. I decided to go ahead and splurge a little bit just for the heck of it. And then uh, no problems. I know there's some problems with the airlines, but didn't have any problems getting to Tennessee at all. Uh, then I Ubered for the hotel. No big deal. Sunday registration. The only question, the only 
biggest thing I had about Sunday was the registration on Sunday, which is Father's Day, by the, by the way. Uh, I'm not complaining too much about that, but it does kind of take the day away from your family. But the doors were locked, actually, in this the the convention center. So you had to register, but the doors were locked, and it was very difficult. It's a huge, huge building. It takes up a whole block, so there's many doors, but all of them were locked, it appeared. It was hard to find the entrance of where I needed to go uh, to get my registration completed. If I registered, paid, but now you had to get the swag, and you had to get your badge and that type of thing. But it was hard to find the entrance, so luckily somebody was around and, and let me in and some of the people that were having a hard time getting access. And then once inside, there was no sign saying registration over here. Like I said, it's a huge facility, and it'd be nice to know exactly uh, some arrows to say, please register down this way or follow these arrows. But it didn't happen. That's a little annoying um, when it comes to that. The swag was nice, uh, backpack, water bottle. Small notebook, I think a cookbook regarding Nashville hot sauce and that type of thing. Uh, it's a nice touch to it. And then after that, there was uh, in the afternoon or the evening for Sunday was a first time reception. So anytime if you're a first time attending these type of events, they had a first time reception for you. And it was a networking reception. It was really kind of like the same thing. It just happened to be in a bigger venue. Free cash bar if you're into it. I just got a Diet Coke. That's just how I roll about these things. Overall, the venue was good. Uh, the location was great. There's nearby restaurants. It was very nice within walking distance. When I say walking distance, I'm talking about within a block or two. You could have anything and everything. Uh, there's the hotels within walking distance easily. Uh, if you're into museums, country music museums, there was plenty to go see. Uh, so kudos for them getting in the venue. It was a very good venue. Uh, location was great. How to get access uh, from the hotel, uh, from the hotel, from the airports, Ubers, not a big deal at all. No problem. Then on Monday, starting around 7 a.m., which is very early uh, to have most meetings, but they had to do this in order to get so many hours in of education credits. Uh, There's a breakfast. There was also a lunch available and a snack available, which is very, very nice. Uh, the food was good. That way it stopped you from having to leave this facility, go find something real quick out there uh, to find a lunch spot and come back. I like the idea of them having the breakfast and uh, the lunches and the snacks there. Uh, It's a good touch. I liked it. Uh, Lunch was catered. It was inside of a big, humongous room, lots of tables. You just fill in with the crowd. And you find a table and hopefully you find something that somebody is interesting that you can sit with. And uh, every time I was at a table for lunch, sat with different people and you didn't know them a little bit about where they're coming from, where they, where they you know, what their career's ambitions are and, and what they're doing. The exhibit said exhibit hall. Uh, the exhibit hall was good. It was okay. Um, I was, since this is my first time, I had nothing to compare it to. I was told it's a little bit light, probably because of post COVID. There were a lot of forensic accounting firms there, software companies. Uh, there were a couple, couple of companies out there looking to hire forensic accountants. I do know there were some government agencies that were there, like CIA, FBI. I know IRS Criminal Investigations was there as well. I think those, those are the main three that I saw that was recruiting. There are probably other potential companies that they're recruiting as well, but those are the three main ones that I saw, which is interesting because – they were hiring forensic accountants and analysts and also probably special agents, I would assume. And a lot of the individuals are 
age out to be a special agent. If you didn't know to be a special agent for the federal government, you have to be 30. Uh, the latest you can be is 37 years old. So if you're 38 years old, too bad, too sad. You're not going to get in. But anyways, that being said, I saw quite a few or heard quite a few and had conversations with quite a few local governments or state governments that didn't pay as well that were looking at federal jobs because those jobs pay almost probably twice as much, which is kind of interesting. I didn't expect it to be that bad, but evidently the market's pretty bad for forensic accountants on the local and state level. It just doesn't pay as much as the federal level. So like anything else, people are looking for, you know, the bigger, better job, which I don't blame them. Uh, so the exhibits are okay. They're a bit light because of post-COVID. My understanding, uh, people or businesses are still getting their feet wet regarding how they go forward with travel and that type of thing outside of COVID. You can get some swag at the tables, of course. I had limited contacts with the vendors. My focus wasn't really purchasing the latest service or recruiting. Uh, as people probably know, I left the IRS criminal investigation about 20 years ago, started my own CPA firm doing forensic accounting. I wasn't really in the business of buying expensive software, is my point. So so I just kind of focused a little bit and talked to a few vendors here and there, but I was really just kind of lounging around, looking around, and got a couple pieces of swag that, that I was thought was interesting. The most I got from this conference was actually meeting fellow podcast guests I've interviewed before, and some of the speakers I got to know a little bit, and talking with them outside the conference. I think at the lunch and dinner was great, uh, talking to the speakers and, and past guests on this podcast. That's where I think I got most of the value. Some of the Teaching was okay, but if I had to put a percentage of it, I'd give probably 75% of my happiness with the conference was from the people I met and talked with. Then the other 25% was actually content that, that was actually in the classroom because it's interesting dealing with people who who actually are in the same boat as I am and or have a different take or they wrote a book. Some things are just interesting to me about how they got where they're at and where they're going, especially the content creators. Those are the ones I really enjoy talking to or people who already have podcasts or writing books or doing training material because I like that type of stuff. One of them was Leah Weeholder. She's from Workman Forensics. She's a fellow CPA. She's also got a CFE credential. She has a podcast and she's also become a recent author. So congratulations to her on her book it's called Data Sleuth. And she has a podcast called The Investigation Game. And then that one was Barry Breslin. She was one of the speakers. She is an author of many books out there, really deals with internal auditing. And there's also Amanda. She also goes by Joe, J-O, Irvin. She's an ethics speaker, and she author, also is an author of a few books. And she does a podcast called Friday Fraudsters. I've heard of that podcast, saw a little bit of it, didn't realize it was her. So it's kind of interesting uh, meeting people that I sort of knew but didn't know. And putting a face with a name and seeing what they do. So that was, that was kind of interesting. Uh, one of the good ones that I liked was Derek Ellington's. He has a business in digital forensics and one of the classes he, he spoke at as, as, as a speaker presenter was about the cell phone, the laptop computers and what happens when you die, who has access to this information, is Google going to turn that information over to you? And one of the things that I learned, which I didn't think about, was that Google or Microsoft or these 
big software companies, consider your email as being leased to you and not proper to the estate. So if you die and you have emails, they probably won't turn over anything over to your next of kin because they don't consider it but least to the person who died. And so therefore they may not turn it over and good luck. Same thing with Apple too. So a few things I learned about that. Ian Mitchell, Ian was a podcast guest. He's also a singer and songwriter. Uh, I got a chance to listen to him. Some of his songs, it's kind of interesting meeting him. He's a, he is a uh, rock star in the anti-fraud space and got to meet his wife. We didn't really talk business, but just life in general is just kind of nice to just sit down and chit chat for a little while. But Ian Mitchell was, was a good one. He didn't speak, as far as I know, at the conference. He may have speak, spoke at maybe something privately, but uh, he was there and mostly just in entertainment, which is good. The topics that were given during the conference were generally oriented to fraud prevention, which you know it's 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 needed. Uh, I was more interested in the investigation side, so I looked at what happens afterwards. Um, the digital forensics was good. There was another one that I listened to that was quite well as OSINT, which is open source intelligence. And it's always nice to get a good refresher. I think Cynthia Harrington uh, did that. She's well known in the OSINT space. And she talked did a few things, gave a couple of websites. There's some things out there technology wise uh, that's of interest that she helped you find people or find assets or income. Uh, for the most part, the speakers are okay. All of them were qualified. Uh, but like anything else regarding speakers, presentation skills were a hit and miss. You probably have been to college where you had a professor that was very knowledgeable, but man, it's just kind of hard to sit there and listen to them because they were just weren't engaging or as death by PowerPoint. Uh, some of the speakers are like that. I'm not going to name names on the podcast. Of course, we get to review them. And I'm assuming other people feel the same way that I did. It's interesting because with I was with IRS criminal investigations, I was trained by the government to be a facilitator and a speaker on how to give good presentations. And it was probably, I would say, the best training I ever received in my entire adult career that could be used immediately and a skill set that can be built upon. And I thoroughly enjoyed that class to the point where they even asked me to teach the class later on at the at the academy. And it's really two weeks of learning how adults learn and how to present a topic, create content, turn it into bullet points or course objectives and be able to take a concept and create material out of it to where you can turn it into a course, like maybe a 50-minute course or a three-hour course or maybe a three-week course, depending on the, on the circumstances. And what the standard is that education puts regarding the objectives and how it's implemented, the tools that are used. But anyways, the point being is that all the speakers were qualified, so don't get me wrong, but this presentation skills were hit and miss. Uh, some of it was death by PowerPoint. Some of it's just you have a PowerPoint that has more than five or six lines, people are going to lose it. They're, they don't want a PowerPoint that's got something that they have to read. And particularly with rooms that are big, like a conference room, uh, like a ballroom, you put up a PowerPoint that's got more than four or five lines on it. It's going to be very hard to read from the back 
And uh, those are the type of things that I look at. And the reason why I, I say I'm look critical of it is because as a person who has been trained in my present in in the given presentations, and this by no means makes me an expert, just means that I know a little bit to look at and has evaluated people who are presenting and um, given them the, in a sense, the blessing by the IRS to, to train. I, I look at the presentation as an art form and it's sort of like a filmmaker can't watch films and musicians really just can't listen to music and artists really can't just look at an art piece. They look at the things behind it. Um, the way I look at it is when you're in elementary school and you watch TV, you just soak yourself into it and you enjoy it. Maybe as an adult, when you watch a movie, you can soak yourself into it and enjoy it. But when you're in charge of creating that content, presenting it, you're now critiquing going, oh, I like that. I don't like that. They're losing the audience here. They could have changed it here. And you're looking more with a critiquing eye than just being a, a sponge absorbing the information. So. Um, I'm looking at the art form along with the content and sitting in the audience, listening, watching some of the stuff. I can see what's working and what's not working. And, um, anyways, it's one of my critiques, I guess, of the presentations that some people have it, some people don't. And, um, it seems like the 20% of the classes I took during the week were great. The other 80% were like, eh, you know, I could probably read the PowerPoint and get the same information from it. So it uh, doesn't make it bad. It's just, just like anything else. After you sit in class for a day or two, you get kind of old after a while. So that being said, um, the presentations were eh, kind of were a hit and miss. Subject matters, they were expert at. Not a problem. The closing session, they had a couple of uh, keynote speakers during the week. Uh, I think the best one that I saw was Michael Lewis. He was an author of a lot of books, and if you don't know him, he's just Google him, Michael Lewis. He's written many books about um, various frauds and financial financial literature out there. Uh, but the last one was on a fraudster, and he talked about insider trading, and for the most part, literally for less than $50,000, he has given away his life. Uh, ethically for fifty thousand dollars in insider trading, the FBI caught him, flipped him, turned him into a foreman for a couple of years, and he helped take down a lot of other people who were engaged in insider trading at a much higher level than he was. But he became an informant of the FBI. Uh, the bottom line is he got caught keeping up with the Joneses uh, per se, and was willing to turn a blind eye to certain things, and ultimately it caught up with them for less than fifty thousand dollars. So for fifty thousand dollars, he lost. His livelihood, and uh, he he didn't go to prison. He ended up getting uh, probation. Um, but anyways, that was uh, that was kind of interesting about his rationale. And he's not rationalizing the decision he made. He was just explaining the thought process at the time when he was going through that, which is kind of an interesting perspective. So after all that, uh, it was done around Wednesday. Around noontime, which is good. The breaks, I will say this, uh, in between the, the sessions were good. They had like 20-minute breaks or 30-minute breaks, depending on circumstances. And it was enough to find a new room, bathroom breaks, go to the exhibit hall, 
And at many times they had some type of food or drink out there that you can get a hold of and um, mingle with a few people and talk to folks and see the exhibits, that type of thing. So I liked the breaks in between the sessions. It was it was very good. Very good. Flew out Wednesday afternoon. Uh, Weston, the hotel, allowed me a 1 p.m. checkout. And since I was not flying out till five o'clock, I wasn't going to go to the, to the airport to around three. Uh, the valet was kind enough to keep my luggage until I left. And then I used a Uber to an airport and flew out. American Airlines, like any of the travel out there is having problems. It delayed my flight with a possibly delayed connecting flight. One of the complaints I had and said nothing to do with the ACFE was American Airlines, uh, told me that I may miss my connecting flight. It was making recommendations for a new flight. But however, the new flight out of Charlotte to where I was my ultimate destination, everything was the next day. Well, there's no way I'm going to spend the night uh, many hours in a airport. For what reason? Because I can't literally, it's about an hour and a half from my house. I'm not spending an uh, overnight in the airport an hour and, and 30 minutes from the house for my connect, for a connecting flight. So uh, l- fortunately, the airline pilot said he'll do his best to get there on time, and he did. And literally, I went across the airport in Charlotte and got on to my connecting flight with minutes to spare. I got caught up in the line, which is fine, but they were already boarding, and I got a chance to board, so... That was that. Fortunately, I made the boarding process. So at the end of this, was it worth it? I would say yes. Uh, I got to talk to folks who are in the same boat that I am, that doing the same work. I got to talk to folks who are starting their career. Uh, matter of fact, there was some uh, younger lady on the, in the airport who was uh, overheard her talking and use the word forensic accounting, which is kind of an odd word to use in an airport, but overheard her talk about over the phone about she did not know where she wanted to be at. She's an internal auditor. And I just had a chance to sit down and speak to her for just a few minutes about the CFE and the career paths that are available and, you know, that type of thing. And just kind of give her a little bit of a heads up because, you know, it's an interesting career path. There's no straight line to go into forensic accounting. Yeah, there's degrees, but really – CFE is it, and she was trying to get her CFE, trying to work toward it. She didn't qualify just yet. Still young, still out of college, uh, just recently out of college, but was just trying to figure out which credential to get, what's important, what's not important. And ultimately, I told her, hey, listen, get your accounting, get something, get your CFE, get your CPA, and you'll be all set. I think you'll you'll set yourself up for uh, for a good career in this job if you really like it. So was it worth it? Yeah, it was worth it. The next national uh, global conference is going to be in Seattle, Washington, which is psh, way on out there on the other side of the other side of the country. I probably will go to it, and uh, we'll see what happens. One of the things I'd like to be able to do is take some of the content I do have on this podcast, create a few things here and there that are in the works regarding content-wise. I am working on a few small projects. Um, to be out there, and one of them would be beneficial to people who have the certified um, fraud examiner credential, the CFE, and I'm working on that. And hopefully something like that will be available in the ACFE committee that's 
find speakers will uh, like the topics. I have like one or two topics I think will be interesting to them. So uh, once I get the content created, I'll probably uh, ship it out to them and see if they would have me as a speaker next year. Just food for thought, just thinking about it. So it was worth it. Probably will go next year to Seattle. It's going to be a little bit of a haul. It's probably an all-day flight to get down there and an all-day flight to get back. So it's two days gone. Uh, but Seattle will be interesting in, in June of 2023. So that's about it. So thank you so much for listening to my review of the 2022 Global Conference for the ACFE in Nashville, Tennessee. I appreciate your time. And if you ever do get a chance to go, at least go one time uh, and enjoy it. Sit back and see other people who are in the same shoes or have the same credentials or have the same skill set that you do. Uh, there was a bookstore that was also there for anybody who want to go out there and meet the speakers or buy their books, of course, and other books that were out there. So, uh, it was worth it. And I hope to be out there in Seattle next year as well. With that being said, thank you so much for listening. And I hope I will see you soon. This is episode 50. We are doing well, 30,000 downloads, 130 countries, over 3,000 cities. Thank you very much for listening. I'll talk to you later.